0: Another great, exciting, beautiful spring day here in Illinois. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Only You Podcast. We're doing William James this month in the month of June. William James was a wonderful writer, author. He was um, an American philosopher, historian, psychologist, and the first educator to offer psychology as a course in the United States of America. And I found that I wanted to share that with you because it's pretty interesting. Um, William James, actually, along with Charles Sanders Pierce, established the philosophical school known as pragmatism. And I did pragmatism in my last podcast by William James. And it's a, pragmatism is a philosophical tradition um, that's considered, it considers words and thought as tools and instruments for prediction, problem-solving, and action, and rejects the idea that the functions of thought is to describe, represent, or actually mirror reality. A survey published in an American psychologist in uh, 1991 ranked James's reputation in second place, and I'd let you know that in my first podcast. Um, James was born into a wealthy family. James was the son of a Swedish Borgen uh, theologian named Henry James Sr. And um, him and his brother were both prominent novelists. And they both went on to write a lot of uh, great writings. James trained as a physician and he taught anatomy at Harvard. So he actually was a very intelligent uh, person. I found him to be one of the most influential psychologist that I have read about he did a lot of great works and he actually brought a lot of people up to speed on his theory of pragmatism and his time um he took up medical studies at Harvard Medical School in 1864 he took a break in the spring of 1865 um but aborted those he was actually going to go take a trip um, on the Amazon River but he aborted the trip um, after eight months suffering bouts of seasickness and mild smallpox, that'd be a terrible, uh, vacation, right? <laughs> Poor guy. Um, James's career, he actually interacted with a wide array of writers and scholars throughout his life, including his grandfather, Robert Waldo Emerson. So it tells you what a great, um, writer this guy really was because, His grandfather was Robert Waldo Emerson. And if you've ever read any of his writings, you obviously know that this guy is probably a very well-rounded writer. (laughs) James spent most of his academic career at Harvard. He was appointed instructor in um, physiology in the spring of 1873. Instructor in anatomy and physiology in uh, 1874. Yeah... He was at Harvard for a really long time. Um, He studied medicine, physiology, biology, and uh, began to teach uh, those subjects there too as well. I found that to be kind of awesome. And you know, the doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest his patients in the care of the frame and diet, which diet comes from the Greek and it means our way of life. So anything you put in your mouth is your diet. And in the cause and prevention of disease. And I feel like that's an important um, statement right there because a lot of diseases and illnesses are going around in the world that are actually caused by ourselves. They're caused by um, the substances that we put in our mouth, like the word diet from the Greek, you know, our way of life. Everything we put in our mouth is our the way we live. And, you know, if you're putting... Starbucks and you know popsicles and candy and ice cream in your body and then you're like oh I'm sick a few years later well I mean you set that in motion years before and you know you have made yourself ill and you didn't even know it and sometimes people do certain things to themselves and they go to the doctor hoping that the doctor has the magical pill to fix them And you can create, you know, stress disorders like schizophrenia, um, bipolarism. You can create ODD, ADD, ADHD, all these different types of spectrum disorders just by the things that you're putting into your mouth over a select period of time, you know? Because in reality, everybody, you're only as sick as your secrets. So the things that you're harboring inside of yourself... And you're worrying about and you're not telling anybody um those are the things that build up in time and cause you to be sick and i watch my own self and i go through bouts of um you know i question everything i'm always worrying about things and You know, sometimes I realize, whoa, dude, back up, take a break, you know, rest, do some yoga, relax, you know, stretch your swimming legs, go for a swim, (laughs) you know, because in the world today, all we have time to do is really worry, and, and the people that ain't worrying, you know, good for you, that is a wonderful life you're living, keep doing it, because everything's out of your control, but then again... Everything's in your control as well. That's in sight of your, you know, parameters of your life. So you're only as sick as your secrets. And remember that because that's a saying that I often bring up to myself throughout my life. And when I'm questioning certain thoughts and um, long-time habits that I've had. Because, you know, habits today lead to the terrible habits of tomorrow. And unfortunately, like I said in the beginning, the doctor of the future well, give no medicine. You know, you, you got to know that doctors are just wanting your money. And the med- I, I go, I drive by the hospital daily and I see the parking lots packed with people. And I think to myself, sheesh, you know, doctors and psychologists and all that stuff, that used to be family members. You know, when you were having marital problems, you didn't run to a counselor and have marital counseling. No, you went to your mom and dad and said, hey, how did you guys manage? How did you get through? And it was your family you went through and people that you looked up to that had solid relationships and that you thought were well rounded, you know, but nowadays we run out and to social media even, you know, for counseling and throw all of our dirty laundry out there for people to look at. And then, you know, form judgments about us that they have no idea what they're talking about, but they do because you threw that out there and it led them to make their own, you know, theory of what was going on in your life. You know, you have to strive every single day to be 1% better than what you were yesterday. And I feel like that's the truth about everything. And thank you guys for following me Thank you for listening to me, and again, this is the Only You Podcast. I'm Low Jackson, your host. I've been doing this for two seasons. It's a great podcast. I have a lot of fun. I have some great fans. I have some really upsetting fans sometimes. Because, <laughs> I mean, I have emotions and feelings, too. So when you send me emails about, oh, well, I think that you should not put music in your podcast, or you should do this or that, I, I appreciate it. But sometimes I I put a lot of thought and stuff into this, you know, and the fee- the the um negative feedback that I get actually promotes me to be a better podcaster and to educate myself on what people enjoy hearing you know if I'm not educating myself then why am I doing this for you if I'm sitting back and just going to work for eight hours a day never understanding what the human needs are like I said, this podcast is live. That was a really loud truck right there. <laughs> and I got an outside studio that I'm sitting in this chair looking out over this beautiful road. It's a beautiful sunny day. You can hear the birds chirping in the background, obviously. Um, But every day you got to strive to be 1% better. If you made the most subtle changes, you know, of like, you know, every time you eat, you have to have a cigarette afterwards. You know, people do that stuff. They make up these little habits that they do, and then they lock themselves into it. It's crazy. And thank you guys again for listening. This is Alzheimer's Brain Awareness Month in the month of June. Thank you guys for following me. Today I'm going to be reading to you The Meaning of Truth by William James. And this is actually a break off of our last book that we did in our podcast called Pragmatism. This is the second part of the pivotal uh, part of my book pragmatism says James is its account of the relation called truth which may obtain between an idea opinion belief statement or whatnot and its object truth I dare say is a property of certain of your of our ideas yeah truth is dare say is a property of certain of our ideas it means their agreement as falsity means their disagreement with reality pragmatism and intellectualists both accept this definition as a matter of course where our ideas do not copy definitely their object what does agreement with that object mean pragmatism asks its usual question Grant an idea or belief to be true it says what concrete difference will its being true make in any one's actual life what experiences may be difficult from those which would obtain if the belief were false how will the truth be realized what in short is the truth's cash value experimental terms. The moment pragmatism asks this question, it sees the answer. True ideas are those that we can assimilate, validate, cooperate, and verify. False ideas are those that we cannot. That is the practical difference it makes to us to have true ideas, that therefore is the meaning of truth. For it is all the truth that is known as the truth of an idea not a stagnant property inherent in it truth happens to an idea it becomes trying is made true by events its verity is in fact an event a process the process namely of its verifying itself its verification its validity is the process of validation to agree in the widest sense with a reality can only mean to be guided either straight up to it or into its surroundings or to be put into such working touch with it as to handle either it or something concerned with it better than if we disagreed Better, either intellectually or practically, any idea that helps us to deal, whether practically or intellectually, with either the reality or its belongings that doesn't entangle our progress and frustrations that fits in fact that and adapts our life to the reality's whole setting, will agree sufficiently to meet the requirement. It will be true of that reality. The true, to put it briefly, is only the expedient in the way of our thinking. Just as the right is only the expedient in the way of our behaving. Expedient. Sorry, not expedient, it's expedient. <laughs> I'm not the greatest reader in the world, but hey, you know what? Reading is important, and I want to share this stuff with you. <laughs> Don't judge. <laughs> expedient is almost any fashion. An expedient in the long run and on the whole, of course, for what meets expediently, all the experience in sight won't necessarily meet all further experiences equally satisfactorily. Experience, as we know, has always, excuse me, has ways of boiling over and making us correct our present formulas. The account of truth, following upon the similar ones given by Mazers, Dewey, and Skiller has occasioned the liveliest discussions. Few critics have defended it. Most of them have scoured at it. It seems evident that the subject is a hard one to understand. Under its apparent simplicity and evident. also, I think that the Definitive sed- excuse me, definitive settlement of it will mark a turning point in the history of this reading, and consequently, in that of general philosophy. In order to make my own thought more accessible to those who hereafter may have to study the question, I have collected in the volume that follows all the work of my pen that bears directly on the true question. My first statement was in 1884 in the article that begins the present volume. The other papers follow in the order of their publication. Two or three appear now for the first time. One of the accusations which I oftenest have had to meet is that of making the truth of our religious beliefs consistent in their feeling good to us and in nothing else. I regret to have given some excuse for this charge, by the underguarded language in which in my book, Pragmatism, I spoke of the truth, of the belief of certain philosophers in the absolute, explaining why I do not believe in the absolute myself, yet finding that it may secure moral holidays to those who need them, and is true, and so far forth, it if to gain moral holidays be a good I offered this as a consolatory olive branch to my enemies but they as is only too common with such offerings trampled the gift underfoot and turned and rent the giver I had counted too much on their goodwill oh for the rarity of Christian charity under the sun And this was 1900 when he was saying that, and it has not changed in over a 100 years. And we're trying to get there, I think, as a human race. I really do. Oh, for the rarity of ordinary secular intelligence also. I had supposed it to be matter of common observation that of two compelling views of the universe, which in all other respects are equal, but of which the first denies some vital human need while the second satisfies it. The second will be favored by sane men for the simple reason that it makes the world seem more rational. Is that not the truth, you guys? Wow. To choose the first view under such circumstance would be an ascetic act. It's a s c e t i c. I've never heard of that word. Sorry, you guys. Like I said, you know, I'm learning too here. I'm not I'm not the most perfect person in the world, and and neither are you <laughs> for that matter. Thank you. An act of philosophic self-denial of which no normal human being would be guilty. Using the pragmatic test of the meaning of concepts, I had shown the concept of the absolute to mean nothing but the holiday giver the banisher of cosmic fear one's objective deliverance when one says the absolute exists amounted on my showing just to this that some justification of a feeling of security and presence of the universe exists and that systematically to refuse to cultivate a feeling of security would be to do violence to a tendency in one's emotional life which might well be respected as prophetic. Apparently, my absolutist critics fail to see the works of their own minds in any such picture. And many people do. Like many people, you know, they judge and they make fun and they laugh and play, but they really honestly don't even see their own shortcomings because they don't question themselves. So all that I can do is apologize and take my offering back. The absolute is true in no way, then, at least of all, by the verdict of the critics in the way which I assigned. My treatment of God, freedom, and design was similar, reducing by the pragmatic test the meaning of each of these concepts to its positive experienceable operation i showed them all to mean the same thing is that not crazy god or no god means promise or no promise it seems to me that the alternative is objective enough being a question as to whether the cosmos has one character or another even though our own provisional answer be made on subjective grounds. Nevertheless, Christians and non-Christians critics uh, alike accuse me of summoning people to say God exists even when he doesn't exist because forsoth in my philosophy the truth of the saying doesn't really mean that he exists in any shape, whatever, but only that to say feels good. Most of the pragmatists, excuse me, most of the pragmatism and anti-pragmatism, where warfare is over that the word truth shall be held to signify and not over any of the facts embodied in the truth situation, for both pragmatists and anti-pragmatisms believe in ex- extent objects just as they believe in our ideas of them. The difference is that when the pragmatisms speak of truth, they mean exclusively something about the ideas, namely their workableness, whereas when anti-pragmatisms speak of truth, they seem most often to mean something about the objects. Since the pragmatisms, excuse me, since the pragmatists of he agrees that an idea is really true also agrees to whatever it says about the object and since most pragmatisms have already come around to agreeing that if the object exists the idea that it does so is workable there would seem so little left to fight about that i might well be asked why instead of reprinting my share in so much verbal wang I do not show my sense of values by burning it all up. And thank you guys again for listening to the Only You Pod. This is The Meaning of Truth by William James. Thanks everybody for tuning in. This is June and this is Alzheimer's Brain Awareness Month. And I wanted to share with you some things that scientists are working on. Um, Regular walks strengthen connections And in between brains' networks, according to new research, adding to growing evidence linking exercise with slowing the onset of Alzheimer's, researchers discover second case of a person who is resistant to Alzheimer's. A new study shows that Alzheimer's model mice exposed to 40 hertz of vibration an hour a day for several weeks showed improved brain health and more function compared to untreated controls. Here's another one. Researchers have shown in animal models of Alzheimer's disease that inhaling uh, methanol improves cognitive ability. Interesting. Interesting. Repeated short exposures to this substance can modulate the immune system and prevent the cognitive deterioration typical of this excuse me, neurodegenerative disease. Researchers have developed a self-administered mobile application that analyzes, analyzes speech, data as an automatic screening tool for the early detection of Alzheimer's disease with 88% to 91% of accuracy. Another one, researchers have discovered that the oldest old, those who live to be 90 plus, have superior cognitive skills, have similar levels of brain pathology as Alzheimer's patients, however, They also have less brain pathology of other neurodegenerative diseases that cause memory and thinking problems. I'm telling you guys this stuff because it's June, and it's Alzheimer's Brain Awareness Month. And I think these are some things that people ought to know that scientists are working on to help people who are suffering from Alzheimer's. Because if you've never witnessed anybody that had Alzheimer's I really I encourage you to find a Alzheimer's facility and visit somebody who actually just went to that facility who is still somewhat coherent and visit them every month for a year or two and see what happens because I actually had that experience of watching somebody be normal and walking and talking and then like a year and a half later being a wheelchair angry upset not remembering her husband spitting her food out yeah I'm talking unbelievable how much you love somebody and then like you know or like louis body syndrome too that's another one where it's like a painful death of like you forget everybody around you it's it's wild you know but thank you guys for listening i hopefully you know you guys go out and you you pick up these books and read them and learn about the truth and pragmatism and surrounded by idiots i've done lots of different podcasts you know and i would love to share all the podcasts that I've done with you guys because in reality there's so many that um maybe you guys have never even listened to them and probably you haven't because my first season I put that away and I you you have to subscribe to my channel to be able to listen to those and those are some of the best ones I've ever done podcasting honestly those are the greatest like David Goggins um what a wonderful writer um many many authors that i've chose to do are just you know well-rounded i've learned so much different so many different things about this stuff um and the first point of our enemies to establish therefore is that something numerically additional and prior to the workings is involved in the truth of an idea and this is the meaning of truth by william james since the object is additional, usually prior, most rationals plead it and boldly accuse us of denying it. This leaves on the bystanders the impression since we cannot reasonably deny the existence of the object and our account of truth brings down, and that our critics have driven us from the field. Although in various places in this volume I try to refute the slanderous charge that we deny real existence, I will say here again, for the sake of the en- emphasis, that the existence of the object, whatever the idea, asserts it truly is the only reason, in innumerable cases, why the idea does, does work successfully. And the fir- this is chapter one, it's called The cognate. The function of cognition, the following inquiry, is to use a distinction familiar to readers of Mr. Shodworth Hodgson, not an inquiry into the how it comes, but into the what it is of cognition. What we call acts of cognition are evidently realized through what we call brains and events whether there be souls dynamically connected with the brain or not, I believe there is a soul connected to the brain just like I believe there's a soul in a dog connected to its brain. <laughs> it's hard not to believe that there is. I read a I'm sorry to change the subject to you guys, but I did read this in a magazine once. It was um, saying that like uh, how like when you come home from work and your dog starts getting excited, the only reason why your dog was getting excited is because it wants to you to feed it. Not because it has feelings or emotions or it remembers you. I'm like, that is crazy. I'm like, they have studies now that prove that um, your dog actually takes on your facial features the longer it lives with you and is more like you. And it's the same with your spouse. You and your spouse become similar. You start to look alike because... Obviously, you become what you love, and you look like what you love. (laughs) Anyways, I think that's the truth, and if I'm wrong, please tell me. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, What we call acts of cognition are evidently realized through what we call brains and their events, whether there be souls dynamically connected with the brains or not. But with neither brains nor souls... Has this essay any business to transact? In it, we shall simply assume that cognition is produced somehow and limit ourselves to asking what elements it contains, what factors it implies. Cognition is a function of consciousness. The first factor it implies is there for a state of consciousness wherein the cognition shall take place. Having else used the word feeling to designate generally all the states of consciousness considered subjectively or without respect to their possible function i shall then say that whatever elements an act of cognition may imply besides it at least implies the existence of a feeling if the reader share the current an antipathy to the word feeling he may substitute it whatever or excuse me wherever i use it The word idea taken in the old, broad, Lockean sense, or he may use the clumsy phrase state of consciousness, or finally, he may say thought instead. Now it is to be observed that the common consent of mankind has agreed that some feelings are cognitive and some are simple facts having a subjective or what one might also call a physical existence, but no such self-transition transcendent function as would be implemented in their process of knowledge. And I wanted to back up for a minute and tell you guys that, um, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that the the state of consciousness that they're in, like, so they don't realize the words they're using. That's what I was trying to get at. Sorry. Um, like when I started reading books and I started really like dissecting words and looking them up and defining them i realized i had no idea i was talking to people and using words that i literally had no idea what the the words were even meaning and i learned this also by reading books um in the last couple of years because i i decided i was going to read every single book in my house a couple of years ago and that was one of the reasons why i kind of sparked this podcast too because i had read so many books and i thought what do you do with all this knowledge but anyways What I was getting at is people don't realize the words they use and they don't realize um, the effects it can have on their life. And and even because nobody is ever going to believe you as much as you believe yourself. So anything that comes out of your mouth goes directly back into your ears and it becomes factual information because you are the true voice of the world to yourself. You ain't going to listen to the Pope over yourself. You ain't going to listen to your mom and dad over yourself. Of course not. Who would? You would be insane. And some people go through life and they are insane. (laughs) But, you know, misusing words actually can make you lose money. Or using words correctly could actually keep you out of legal trouble. And that's how some court cases are won terminology of words just one simple word and like you know some people actually take that to court with one word and say hey you stated this word and this is what it means so in reality what you were saying isn't true and now you got to pay me x amount of dollars because you used a word that you had no idea what it meant you know think about that because that's the kind of world we're living in and if you're (laughs) Honestly, if you're not really understanding the words you use and you're just blabbering on and on and on, um, I listen. I use words. And I know everything that you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I've, And sometimes I go back through and I reanalyze what people say just to make sure I am on the same page. Well now, can our little feelings thus left alone in the universe for the God? And we psychological critics may be supposed left out of the account. Can the feeling I say be said to have any sort of cognitive function? For to know there must be something to be known. What is there? On the present susposition, one may reply the feeling content cue. But does it not seem more proper to call this feeling's quality than its content does not the word content suggest that the feelings has already derempted itself as an act from its content as an object and would it be quite safe to assume so promptly that the quality cue of a feeling is one and the same thing with a feeling of quality cue the quality cue so far is an entirely subjective fact which the feeling carries so to speak indigenously or in its pocket if anyone pleases to dignify so simple a fact this by the name of knowledge of course nothing can prevent him but let us keep closer to the path of common usage, and reserve the name knowledge for the cognition of realities, meaning by realities things that exist independently of the feeling through which their cognition occurs. If the content of the feeling occur, now where and the universe outside of the feeling itself and perish with the feeling common usage refers to call it a reality and brands it as subjective feature of the feeling's constitution or at the most as feeling's dream for the feeling to be cognitive in this specific sense then it must be self-transcendent and we must prevail upon the The God to create a reality outside of it to correspond to its intricate quality, Q. Thus only can it be redeemed from condition of being a solipism. S-O-L-I-P-I-S-M If now the new created reality resemble the feelings quality, Q... I say the feeling may be held to, by us to be cognitant of the reality. This first installment of my thesis is sure to be attacked. But one word before defending it, reality has become our warrant for calling a feeling cognitive. But what becomes our warranty? Excuse me. But what becomes our warrant for calling anything reality? The only reply is, the faith of the present critic or inquirer. (laughs) Excuse me. At every event, excuse me, at every moment of his life, he finds himself subject to a belief in some realities, even though his realities of this year should prove to be his illusions of the next. Whenever he finds that the feeling he is studying contemplates what he himself regards as a reality, he must, of course, admit the feeling itself to be true cognitive. We are ourselves the critics here, and we shall find our burden much lightened by being allowed to take reality in this relative and provisional way. Every science must make some assumptions. When they study the function of cognition, they do it, by means of the same function in themselves and knowing that the fountain cannot go higher than its source. We should promptly confess that our result in this field are affected by our, our own liability to error. The most we can claim is that what we say about cognition may be counted as true as what we say about anything else. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. I've now shared the preface and chapter one with you and the meaning of truth by William James. I do want to talk to you more about pragmatic theories of truth. They're usually associated with, uh, actually with C.S. Pierce's proposal that true beliefs will be accepted at the end of inquiry or with William James' proposal that truth be defined in terms of utility. More broadly, however, pragmatic theories of truth focus on the connection between truth and epistemic practices, notably practices of inquiry and assertion. Depending on the particular pragmatic theory, true statements might be those that are useful to believe, uh, that are the result of inquiry, that have withstood ongoing examination, that met a standard of warranted assertibility, or that represent norms of assertoric discourse. Like other theories of truth, coherence, and uh deflationary theories pragmatic theories of truth are often put forward as an alternative to correspondence theories of truth unlike um, correspondent excuse me yeah unlike um, yeah yeah correspondence theories um, which they tend to see the truth as a statistic relation between a truth bearer And a truth maker. Um, Pragmatic theories of truth. They tend to view truth as a function of the practices people engage in. And the commitments people make. Whereas they solve problems and make assertions. Or uh, conduct scientific inquiry. um, Pragmatic theories tend to emphasize um, the significant role the concept of truth plays across a range of disciplines and discourses. Not just um, scientific or fact-stating discourse, but also ethical, um, legal, and political discourse as well. And we're going through that right now in the United States. Pragmatic theories of truth have the effect of um, shifting attention away from what makes a statement true and towards what people mean or do in describing a statement is true or as true. While um, sharing many of the impulses behind deflationary theories of truth, in particular the idea that truth is not a substantial property, pragmatic theories also tend to view truth as more than just a useful tool for making generalizations. Pragmatic theories of Truth thus emphasizes the broader practical and performative dimensions of truth talk, stressing the role truth plays in shaping certain kinds of discourse. These practical dimensions, according to the pragmatic theories, are essential to understanding concept of truth and, as these references to pragmatic theories in the plural would suggest over the years a number of different approaches that have been classified as pragmatic. This points to a degree of ambiguity. If I could talk. Sorry. Ambu... I can't even speak that word. Ambiguity. (laughs) That has been present since the earliest formation oh excuse me formulations of the pragmatic theory of truth for example the difference between pierce's 1878 to 1986 273 claim that truth is the opinion which is fatted to be ultimately agreed to by all who investigate and james Obviously 1907 to 1975 106 claimed that truth is only the expedient and the way of our thinking. Since then the situation has arguably gotten worse, not better. The often Oh, excuse me. This often signifies differences between various pragmatic theories of truth can make it difficult to determine their shared commitments if any while also making it difficult to critique these theories overall. Issues with one version may not apply to other versions, which means the pragmatic theories of truth may well present more of a moving target than do other theories of truth. While few today would equate truth with expediency or utility, as James often seems to do, there remains the question of what the pragmatic theory of truth stands for and how it is related to other theories. Still, pragmatic theories of truth can de- continue to be f- uh, forward and defended, often as serious alternatives to more widely accepted theories. Um, yeah, is that not the truth? Thank you guys for listening to the Only You podcast. And it's funny that uh, I want to reread this one more time. While a few today will equate truth with expediency or utility, there remains the question of what the pragmatic theory of truth stands for and how it relates to the theory. Still, pragmatic theories of truth continue to be forward and definitive, defended often as serious alternatives to a more widely accepted truth. And that that is just so interesting. And thank thank you guys for listening. But hopefully, you guys found the meaning of truth to be interesting and rewarding and hopefully you'll go out and pick this book up and read it william james have so many different writings to appreciate and to read and to understand that you know like this this writer here was saying you know like uh where does this fit in with these other theories you know it takes somebody to like i said earlier it takes somebody to you know put their idea out there to be scrutinized, to be cut down, you know, to be dissipated by people who, they can't believe that that theory would be true. You know, you you think everybody believed that Einstein's um, theory of relativity was true and that you know, everybody believed him. Hell no, they didn't. They dissected his um, theory of relativity any which way they could think of possible because why would they want Einstein to overcome them when they were in the same field trying to do the same thing, making a name, going down in history or whatever it was that they chase after once they begin getting into the field and the things and the studies that they are involved in. I find that, you know, You have to put yourself out there. Make the idea known. You know, it's just like starting a new business. If you never put yourself out there, you're never going to know that you're great. You're never going to know that, hey, I failed. But in reality, nobody's ever a failure because once you fail and you get up, you dust yourself off, dude, you come back to the table with experience. You know, I had a friend actually recently reached out to me, and he was so terrified. I, I could hear it in his voice. He sounded so distraught. He was like, man, I started dating this girl, and she's like 20 years younger than me. No joke. And uh, <laughs> she's, he's like, she got pregnant. I don't know what to do. He's like, man, could you imagine me um, being a dad again at 40? And I'm like, hey, man, take take a breath. I'm like, listen to yourself. I'm like, you're, you just said it yourself. You're, you're 40. You're no longer 20. You got 20 years experience. Get it together. You know, do what's right. Pull your bootstraps up, raise that baby, and show that child what a father's supposed to really be like, you know? Don't be calling a friend, acting frantic, like, oh, I want her to have an abortion. And then next thing you know, you call me and tell me, oh, well, man, I want her to have that baby. No, no, you're saying that because I told you that. Like, hey, man, you got experience. Dude, enjoy your, the life you've created. You know, don't just think that um, if you throw yourself out there, that these things ain't going to happen. But when you get into situations like that, you know, you have to know that pragmatism is a part of it. You know, the theory of pragmatism and the truth, the meaning of truth is, you know, uh, the uh, truth is not a matter of uh, inner interpersonal. Uh, yeah, interpersonal um, consensus. But rather, it is about practical consequences for an individual. <laughs> so if you're out there making love to somebody 20 years younger than you, there's a probability that they're going to have a baby. <laughs> Unless they the same sex. And I think we're getting pretty close to same sex as having babies now. I don't know. But <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and hopefully this was a great read. Um, thank you for tuning in to the Only You podcast again. Thank you for following me. Thank you for sharing me. I've done over, I think, I'm not sure exactly how many. I think I've done over 150 podcasts at this point. And I'm really enjoying this. I love it. Hopefully you're not too upset about the cars passing by. I just love to do it outside because once i'm on the mic out here and i see the birds and the squirrels and the deer running around i just love you guys and i love doing this you know get out there do it make something of yourself not everybody's gonna enjoy you in the world but who cares enjoy yourself because you have to live with you forever Nobody has to live with you but you. So the way you treat other people is a pure reflection of the person you are inside of those eyes, behind that heart, behind that caged rib cage of yours, you know. That's who you are at its barest truth. Love yourself. Don't worry about the world anymore. Quit getting involved in all these different crazies that are out there i mean yeah everybody's acting like the united states is running wild and free and crazy well baby i guarantee you when we usher in a new president in a year and a half oh these purse strings are going to get straightened up real quick and i guarantee that (laughs) everybody here's like oh it's the end of the world they're talking about revelations is coming true man nobody knows the end but my god and you know what while you're here, quit quit following your adversaries, start following yourself, put yourself out there in the spotlight and let and let yourself know that you are enough, you can make it, and the things that you have to offer the world nobody else has to offer the world but you and those kids that you know live in your house or that mom and dad that you're taking care of you're all they have, and sometimes. When the saying, uh, the saying, uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you, I find that a great saying because it's interesting because in today's society, our own family members become our enemies in the end and friends become our family and it's terrible. It never used to be like this, but these are all the different systems and all the different laws and all the different divisions out there dividing everybody and trying to get you to go your own way so that you can be in the spotlight. But in reality, do go your own way. Don't be afraid to embrace what the reality of your world has to provide because, you know what? It's just you in the end and God. And on your deathbed, what's gonna matter when you're taking your last breath are the people you love the most. And if you ain't cultivating relationships and you're out there being a psychopath and, you know, you're on the Internet or on Snapchat trying to get girls to date you and then you're, you know, they, they, they show you their little body parts and then all of a sudden you get your fill and you move on or you ghost them. Man, that's shallow, dude. Learn the meaning of truth. Put some pragmatism in your life. You know, truth is not a matter of interpersonal consensus, man. But rather it is about practical consequences for an individual. And, you know, like I said in the beginning of this podcast too, it's all about the things that you're putting in your mouth that's causing you to be this way and go that way. Do not um, let the world dictate what exactly is going on in your life. There's people out there that are so afraid to step out of their normal routine that they literally make themselves ill daily, nightly, weekly, and I watch it in my own house. And it's horrible because you can't make anybody do anything that they don't want to do. You know, all you can do is try to find ways to manage, you know, and that's what it's like in life is finding ways to manage with other people, growing, you know, accepting your realities and, and accepting your shortcomings and stepping over them. But Finding the meaning of truth in your life is the most important thing. You know, spread your wings, you know, jump, jump off that cliff. You know, it's like the the fear of falling. You know what? I don't want to have the fear of falling while I'm falling asleep. I want to see myself jump. I don't want to fear falling. No, I want to see myself jump in that dream. And that's what I want you to do. And that's what I want you to do today. Step up and believe in yourself. Stop letting your parents and your grandparents and you know the government and your lawyer and your sister and your brother, stop letting these people dictate the greatness inside of you. Start cultivating everything of your worth. Start stepping forward in an enlightened spirit. Be beautiful in who you are. Be beautiful in the soul that you were given. This is the only vessel you got. Whether you're ugly in the face You might be beautiful in the feet. Whether you're ugly in the feet, you might be beautiful in the face. It does not matter because in the end we've been made to, uh, think and feel things that are just so stupid and asinine. Like, you know, the way a person's face looks is how you deem their worth is or no. Yeah. How no is what you deem their worth is. No, that's not the truth, dude. That could be the greatest person inside of their soul. To help you cultivate the greatest person inside of your soul, but yet you're too blinded by looks to even want to venture out and see somebody's soul. And that's the sad thing about the world, you know, but there are people out there that overlook those things and can um, help somebody become better. And that's what this podcast is really about. It's about helping uh, reach one, teach one. It's about passing on information that, you know. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, and remember that. And that's the greatest saying by Mike Tyson. And I've believed in that my whole life because I've been in fights myself, you know, and and life is a fight. And, you know, I used to be careless and let anything go on. Well, you know, I got put in my rightful place by doing that because I didn't seek the truth. I didn't put no pragmatism in my life. I was just out there living it, falling through it. And thank you guys for listening to the Only You Podcast. And this is the month of June. We're doing William James. This is Alzheimer's Brain Awareness Month. And I had told you earlier about some scientific um, researches that are being done about autism. or Autism, wow. <laughs> if I could speak. Alzheimer's. Thank you. Or frontal lobe dysplasia. And thank you again for following me. Thank you for sharing me. And hopefully this was a good podcast. I'm going to try to get a little bit more lively in my podcast. I had somebody reach out and tell me I wasn't lively enough. Well, usually I try to do my podcast when I have time. But here recently, you know, life happens and it takes a toll. And we got responsibilities. We got to pay bills and stuff like that. But thank you guys. And I'll... uh, get back to you here in about, I think about another week. We'll do another one in about a week. So tune back in. Thank you guys again. This is our second season. I've done over 200 different podcasts. Um, no, I think I'm up to 150. I, I, it might be over. It's over 150 it has to be. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. And I do appreciate you. Um, and I'm not the greatest. I'm not the best, but hopefully I'm teaching you something that you didn't know. And maybe, helping you dust yourself off and get going again and you know doing what you were meant to do your civic duty your moral duty and realizing that people are out there to rob steal and destroy everything that you ever created and everything god put you here to do they're there to take from you and you gotta really harness your energy i love you guys (laughs)